From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And with me today are two of CQ's busy appropriations reporters, Ryan McCrimmon and Kelly Madrick. Thanks for being here, Kelly and Ryan. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. So Congress now has only until Friday to pass a final catch-all spending package for the current fiscal year, which is already half over, to avoid another government shutdown. But lawmakers now have some extra money to spend this year, thanks to a bipartisan budget deal that was passed last month that raised spending limits. And Kelly, you reported last week about extra projects that may get included in the final package because of the influence of the outgoing chairman of both the House and Senate Appropriations Committees. I believe it's called Bringing Home the Bacon. So what kind of bacon might we be seeing soon? So Appropriations Chairman Thad Cochran is going to be out by April 1st. In the Senate. In the Senate. And House Appropriations Chairman Rodney Frelinghuysen is going to retire at the end of this term. So both of them have some pretty big projects at stake. Frelinghuysen is certainly looking very closely at the Gateway Project. That's um, a major project in the Northeast Corridor to replace the Hudson River River tunnels, which were damaged in Superstorm Sandy. But, you know, this has become kind of a hot-button issue at the last minute because President Donald Trump reportedly has threatened either to veto it or that he doesn't favor the project. And for Frelinghuysen, that would be a major major win for his district, given that 77% of commuters in his district drive by car alone. So if people come out of those Hudson tunnels and onto the road, that's a traffic nightmare. And it's pretty big money, right? It's a lot of money. I mean, I know that when the House passed the fiscal 2018 appropriations package, Rodney Freelinghuysen was celebrating $900 million for Gateway included in there. Now, what that final number is going to be is not clear, uh, but it's clearly a priority for him. And then for um, for Thad Cochran, chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, there's a couple of projects that he's looking at that could mean a lot of money for his district. One of them is accelerating more than $150 million in funding for a polar icebreaker, which he has one of the major shipbuilding companies in his district that has a good chance of getting that contract. It would compete with other companies. This is the Mississippi shipyard, right? Yeah. And so that could ultimately end up costing billions. And so that's like a huge, huge priority for Cochrane. Um, another odd one that I found was that uh, in, the, in the committee released Interior Environment Bill, Thad Cochrane also included like an authorization for a, a pump project near the Mississippi River that would benefit farmers in his district which is, of course, got environmental groups kind of screaming about this project, uh, which was the breaks were put on during the Bush administration. But it's another example of outgoing chairman kind of trying to vie for leverage as they leave, which is a longstanding tradition in Congress. Yeah. So how do these projects compare with the bacon that's brought home by, by previous committee chairmen? I mean, obviously, Congress used to have a funding mechanism known as earmarks, which allowed lawmakers to insert money into spending bills for their pet projects with little real scrutiny. But earmarks have been banned now since 2011, right? It's not allowed to geographically designate a project, but there are still projects that get funded in these bills that end up being geographically designated, right? And so in the past, it was much easier for chairmen 
like Robert Byrd. He called himself the big daddy of earmarks. It was very easy to see on his outgoing uh, omnibus, the fiscal 2009 year, he got $362 million worth of earmarks that were actually with his name attached in the spending bill. Mm. So it was easier for the public to see how these chairmen were able to bring back home money for their district. Now, because a lot of things go through grant funding and stuff like that, it's harder to track. But it's undeniable that these chairmen are definitely vying for major projects that would bring a lot of money and potentially a lot of jobs into their district. So we'll see how well the chairmen do as the omnibus spending package makes its way through the House and Senate this week. But even with the deadline crunch to keep the government open, spending isn't the only thing on the minds of many Republicans. There's been some talk of another round of tax cuts. Ryan, what exactly do they have in mind? Yeah, so this sort of started out as seemingly a joke from Trump at this uh, meeting of Republican senators and congressmen where he basically was sort of ribbing the top tax writers about, you know, diving right back into the tax debate after they had just enacted this, you know, their signature legislation, the new tax code overhaul. And he basically made the same remark uh, at another White House event with uh, Kevin Brady, who's the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, the tax writing panel in the House. And he basically said, you know, let's let's get back in there. Let's do phase two of tax cuts. We're actually going for a phase two, which will help uh, in addition to the middle class, will help companies. And it's going to be something, I think, very special. Kevin Brady is working on it with me. And Brady, I think, sort of surprised some people when he went on TV the next day and said, yeah, actually, we are seriously looking at doing a phase two, as they called it. We're going to build off the momentum of the uh, first tax cuts. We think we can do more. Uh, we think we uh, can do more to help families uh, uh, stretch their budget. Um, what this could involve is basically extending some of the individual tax breaks, which under the, the first iteration of the of the tax overhaul were set to expire in at the end of 2025. That's something that a lot of Democrats like to point out was that, you know, the corporate tax breaks um, in the in the Republicans tax plan were permanent, whereas some of the um, reductions for individual taxpayers were set to expire. If they somehow bring this up for a vote, some sort of package centered on extending the individual tax breaks, that could put some Democrats in a tricky spot. You know, do they do they vote in favor of making permanent one of the pieces of the Republicans tax law or do they are they taking a gamble and voting against tax breaks for average families? So it's sort of interesting whether this will actually happen. It seems unlikely at this point, but, you know, Republicans are talking about it now seriously. So it's it's something to watch. And maybe it's not too surprising that Republicans would want to push for more tax cuts as they campaign for re-election this fall. But is there room in the budget to accommodate that? How do they expect to finance it? Well, that's sort of the trillion-dollar question. I mean, they, like you said, this is sort of something that they may be talking about just to keep the, you know, keep the positive headlines about tax reform. This is sort of their big victory so far of the first year in office, and they certainly have been touting it a lot on the campaign trail whether they can sort of afford to cut taxes even farther. Remember, the first tax overhaul is projected to add more than a trillion dollars to the deficit over the next 10 years. So, And one of the big challenges was keeping the overall cost of that package within this sort of narrow budget window that they had set for themselves. So it, it And they be, approved a budget blueprint that allowed for that trillion-dollar exactly. increase in deficits. And this year, we don't think they're—you know, they're probably not going to pass a budget this year, which set up the whole tax cut process in the first place. So 
it, it's hard to see them really going anywhere with this, but it's something they're certainly going to talk about at least. There, there's some other things that they'd probably like to address that besides extending the individual tax cuts that they weren't able to get to the first time because of those budget limitations. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be coming forward to the House floor or anything like that anytime soon. Maybe they'll take a crack at this, like, during the lame duck session or something like that. But it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of energy to sort of dive back into taxes after what was a really difficult process in the first place. So more tax cuts this year sounds like a long shot at this point, but we'll be tracking it closely along with the fate of the mammoth spending package this week. My thanks to Ryan McCrimmon and Kelly Madrick, our tireless appropriations reporters, for joining me again. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your CQ budget tracker. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can keep up to date by reading your daily CQ budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or NPR One. And to find more on this subject and other budget news, visit rollcall.com or cq.com or find us on Twitter. The handle is at CQNow or at Roll Call. See you next week.